right, good morning. This is from John 20. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Thank you so much, Margaret. I invite you guys to pray with me as we uh, dive into God's word today. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, you're powerful. And Heavenly Father, you are the God of life. Lord, and so as we uh, begin this uh, journey with you, Lord, where we reflect and pray and meditate on your words and how, uh, in the words of John, those words contain life that transcends all understanding. Lord, I pray that you speak. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are starting this series called the Red Letter Challenge, right? We talk about this, how the uh, words of Jesus in most Bibles are highlighted in red as a way to really emphasize, hey, the Son of God actually said this, spoke this to people, and, and those words were so valued that the disciples, the first followers, they came together and they said, we have to remember what he said. We have to pass this on to the next generation. And then they passed it on to the next generation. And they passed it on to the next generation. And, and what's so fascinating is that there can be a, a myth that it becomes like a telephone game, right? Like, have you guys ever played telephone? Where you start on one side and you're like, hey, I want to eat bacon for dinner. And by the time you're done 20 people later, it's like, why did you kill the pig? Right? Like, it's just it's huge swings that you can have, right? But the cool thing with Scripture is we have all these ancient manuscripts. Some of them dated all the way back to the first followers of Jesus. And instead of a giant telephone game, what you have is outside of very small discrepancies. And we're talking small discrepancies like the the is in a different part of the sentence, not like Jesus was a chicken or Jesus was the son of God. Outside of very tiny discrepancies, what we have is this uniform, consistent, almost Xeroxed copies of the New Testament. That, that's how valued they took his words. And, and we're going to end with the gospel reading that Margaret just read about how this gospel, in fact, all the gospels were written that you may have life. But what we're going to see is we're going to do a survey through the book of John. And, and through that survey, what we're going to see is a common theme of Jesus being the God of the good. Uh, is this going to work? It's been a weird day with technology, so it may not. All right. All right. So Jesus is all about the good life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago and how the good life is fruits of the Spirit. Right? How, the, how the good life is something different than the, the world is going to offer, something more powerful, something fuller, something that is going to give us something that the world could never give. And, and you see that if you want to go to the next slide. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was, uh, and the, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him, in him, and here's the important part, was life, and that life was the light of mankind. You can go to the next slide. Scripture tells us he is the source of all life. 
And that's just not like the breath in your lungs. It is that, but it's more than that. It's anything that's ever made you feel alive. Every good vacation you've ever been on is a source of, is life. Every good meal you've ever had. Think about that brisket you make, Mick. Think about that surf and turf from that one restaurant that you had 15 years ago that you still talk about. That life. Jesus is the source of that. Jesus is the source of our careers. Jesus is the source of our families. Jesus is the source of all of it. He is the good giver of life. But so often what we end up doing is we take the gift and turn it into the giver. Man, vacation is awesome. I just need to go on more vacations. Because if I go on more vacations, I'll get more life. And all of a sudden, we start saying, if I get this, if I seek after this, the gift becomes the giver. You guys see how that works? We do it with everything. My family, oh, I love my family. What a gift from God. But when we change the gift into the giver, all of a sudden, we start trusting We start building our life and our foundation on the gifts. And the reality is that, no, the gifts all come from a good God. The gifts all come from Jesus. And so when we build our faith on him, he gives us the right outlook to understand vacation and family and our careers and good food. In him was life, the scripture says. And that life was the light of men. It's the source that emanates all from him. And so if we want to follow him, what we end up getting, we're going to see this in a little bit, is something called life and life to the full. But before we get that, there's some other verses we got to cover first. All right, next slide. So Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers a different type of life than the world's going to give you. He's going to offer something that can sustain. This story comes from the woman at the well. This is a woman who was in a ton of broken relationships. Husband after husband after husband after husband. The reason why she was at the well when Jesus was, it was at midday. It was at the hottest point of the day so no one would see her, so she could get her water in peace. And so Jesus meets her there. He's talking to her, which in and of itself was radical. And they get into this argument about water. And water certainly is a source of life. It's like 70% of our bodies. So they're arguing about where they should get water from. And Jesus, you're missing the point. The water that you drink today, you're going to need to be refreshed again tomorrow. He goes, but the water that I give, that ultimate foundational spiritual water, that's going to well up into something that you don't have to go back for over and over and over again because it's going to be inside of you. And it's going to move beyond even this temporal world. We battle against this every day. I battle against this every day. And not just because of an internal sin problem, and yeah, that's there, but externally, that's the world says. Every commercial you have ever seen is arguing that it's going to give you life in a different way. Right? So if you just get this car, right, you're going to have these awesome epic adventures off-roading. Right? It's arguing for a source of life. 
If you just invest your money with this firm, you'll have foundational security. If you just get this piece of technology or if you just go see this movie, it advocates that the gift will sustain you. And Jesus comes in and he goes, guys, I'm the only thing that can sustain you. And then that's not an argument that then Jesus just wants you to go and live as a monk, right, or a nun. That, that's not the argument. Scripture says every good gift is from God. He, he wants to give those things to you as his children, but if we seek those as our ultimate authority on what is good, that, that's where everything breaks down. Scripture goes on. You study the scriptures. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, you did diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In ancient times, the Pharisees, the scribes, they studied the Old Testament, trying to figure out the vending machine that God had set up, trying to figure out how do I punch in the right keys that they could have life in this world and into the next. And Jesus turns it around and says, guys, it's always been about me. The Old Testament was always pointing towards me. It was always foreshadowing to what I was going to do for you and through you and to and for the world. It's always been working up to the same place, to the same spot, the same life of discipleship that we can come before him and that can well up inside of us. Adventures in missing the point. So much of my own faith, so much of our faith, right, is that. We, we start, we're like, okay, God, you really care about this thing. And he's like, well, I do, but don't turn that into the idol. Don't, don't turn that into the God and said, seek me first and everything else will make sense after it. That's the whole point of this whole red letter challenge. When AJ was talking to staff and was really saying, guys, I, I want to have a season where we just really seek after Jesus together. Not just as staff, not just as leadership, but as the whole church. That we can seek that life that he is offering us as his people. Scripture goes on. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is a season of Jesus' ministry where, where he's starting to say the hard stuff, right? Like we're beyond the, the love your neighbor as yourself stuff. We're beyond uh, like Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? All the, all the good aspects, all the easy aspects. And he starts saying harder things. Like, like if you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross daily. Like, like turn the other cheek. Right, the simple things of our faith, but that are so difficult, that are so countercultural to who we are as people. And so people start to fall away. And so Jesus says to them, do, uh, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and their response, I love this, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom should we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That even when things get tough, even when it's hard, even when we don't understand why he does certain things or why he asks certain things of us, that, that he's still the only one that has it. That those words, for whom shall we go, you have the words of eternal life, is a 
common refrain in my own prayer life. That when things are tough, when things are, are tough with family or things are tough with job or with our finances or whatever it is, to take a deep breath and to say, but you know what, God, it's, it's you. You have that life. You promise that life. And who else am I going to go to? See, that, that's good news because there are going to be seasons of darkness. There are going to be seasons of challenge. And yet we have a God who still comes in and says, I'm still for you. And even in those moments, I'm not done with you yet. John goes on. My favorite verse is, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. There's no greater, not parallel, there's no greater dynamic than that, right? All Satan wants to do in your life, the thief, all sin wants to do in your life is kill, steal, and destroy anything you have. It wraps it in this really pretty package that says, no, 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 you just need more money. No, 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 you just need this person in your life. No, 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 you just need this job or you just need this thing. And if you finally get this gift, this gift will really sustain you. But what we see what sin does is the same thing sin always does. It just destroys things. It destroys relationships. It destroys our security. It destroys our peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those good life things that we talk about. The thief comes in just to start wreaking havoc on all of them. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. Life overflowing. He says, I literally came as a human to show you what a life of love and peace and those fruits of God looks like. And he says, and I want them for you. And I want them for your kids. And I want them for your community. Jesus shows up and he says, I love you that much. And that's what he's offering. This is from uh, the Lazarus story. I want to pause here just with what's going on with the Hans and Lily Grace. Uh, this is an interesting story because Jesus already knows what he's going to do. The story starts off, and he gets news that one of his friends, Lazarus, is sick. And he's a couple days away, but they call him, and they, they, they literally send runners to Jesus. And I mean literally running. Like someone is running across Israel, trying to get to Jesus to let him know, Lazarus is sick. He's your friend. You love him. Can you help? And Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, it's good for us to go to him. And they're like, oh, we're going to go because you're going to heal him. And Jesus says, sort of, but something's going to happen first. And by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus dies. And he has this conversation with one of the sisters. And he says to the sister, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? Moments later, Jesus is going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows he's going to do it. He knows he has the power to do it. That was always the plan. 
as a testimony, as a witness to who he was as the son of God. And yet when he sees Lazarus' grave, you know what he does? He weeps. He knows he's going to raise him back to life. He could literally be walking in there like, guys, want to see the coolest magic trick of all? But instead, when Jesus encounters death, his first reaction, even knowing that he is the God of life, even knowing that life is about to enter in again, is to weep, is to mourn. Because death is worth mourning. It's tragic and it's horrible and it was never part of the plan. And so even though we have a God who transcends death, even though we don't mourn like those who have no hope, but instead mourn knowing that the resurrection is real, knowing that he's going to put everything back together, in the moment when we face it, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of the Hans, we join Jesus in mourning. But the promise and the good news is that even though we die, yet will we live. Because we have a God who specializes, who targets life and life to the full. Scripture goes on. And anyone who loves his life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. This is, this is the grand contradiction. That if you really want to experience real life, you have to lay it down. That, that if you want to experience the fullness of what God has for you in relationships, in your job, in your family, in your church, it starts by letting go. By saying, you know what? I'm not very good at being in charge. But God is. And so when we lay down our life for him, when we allow him to be the one in the driver's seat, shaping and molding our actions and our thoughts, all of a sudden this life that he promises starts to well up inside of us. And those good things that we like so much, that food that we like, it actually is sweeter because we get to enjoy it for what it is, not for what it's not. Vacations become sweeter. Family becomes sweeter. And it doesn't make it easy. It's simple. Not easy. But again, the good news is that he holds the words of eternal life and he is a good and he is a gracious God and he's never done fighting for his people. And then Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from, uh, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is what is called the scandal of particularity. In both there is a promise and there is an ultimatum. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are awesome three things, right? I am the way. If you ever want to know what God wants you to do in your marriage, 
Here's an answer for that. If you ever want to know how God wants you to be as a worker or as a manager, God has an answer for that. He, there is a way for that. If you ever get buffeted by all the noise that's out there, what is true and what is not true? Jesus says, I am the truth. I have a foundation that transcends what the world is going to be able to offer you. And I am the life. And I want you to have it to the full. I want you to experience it in its fullness. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The thing is, those, those three things are not interchangeable. Sometimes I can be like, well, you know, I really like the idea of having Jesus' life. That sounds great. And having the truth is awesome, but I'd rather do it my way. Any of you guys ever do that? Get in your head, and you're like, yes, I want to be right. And yes, I want to have an awesome life. But God, I've got some suggestions, some notes that I would like to add to the plan. Right? It doesn't work that way. Or I like his way, and I like his life, but the, the truth part, eh, truth's kind of relative. I'm going to swap in some of my own, see how that goes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, he says, what is called the scandal of particularity, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. It is Jesus or bust. Now, I, I want to take a moment and just first, before we talk about the ultimatum, what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that we are at war with other religions. That is not what it means. I'm not saying that other religions get to heaven. We'll talk about that in a second. But we are not at war with other cultures. It doesn't mean that other cultures, other religions can't teach us things. Because they can. We can learn a lot from what God is already doing, even in spite of what they may believe about him. We're not at war. We don't have unilateral, pure sight of what is true. Jesus does, but we're broken. I, as pastor, am broken. Right? So, so we don't use that statement as a hammer. We don't use it as a baseball bat. We don't take a Bible and just start beating people. But, but we also take Jesus at his word. That he says no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what makes the urgency. That, that's what sets him apart. So the scandal of particularity literally means this particular way is what Jesus said is how it works. And mind you, none of us know who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. We don't. Right? I'm definitely not the judge, and we should all be thankful for that. My wife can attest. We don't want Pastor Josh as the judge of who gets in and, and who gets out. Right? None of us are. Jesus is the judge. And here's the good news. If you ever worry about someone's long-term eternal faith, right, do they really believe? Did God get their hands on him? This is where you place your hope. Jesus said, I love you this much. I will go to this length to have a relationship with you. I'll die. I'll suffer. I'll be humiliated. I will fight for you. And that shows us the character of our God. And so when we have loved ones who may not believe, when we have people of different religions, we don't beat them over the head. We testify. We give the truth the best as we can. And then thank and praise God what we say is, y'all, ultimately I am trusting that God who put his arms out, 
I am trusting that God's character. That God, is, that God, my God, wants that person to get into heaven even more than I do. And if he went to this length to have a relationship with me, he will go to that same length to have a relationship with every other person on this planet because he is the God of life. He wants to reconnect the whole world together. And so it doesn't tell us, does everyone go to heaven? Does everyone go to hell? That doesn't answer the question because that's not our question to answer. What we build our, house, our hope on is the foundation of who our God has shown himself to be and we place them in his care and his trust. That that love, that life, that God will fight for them the same way he fights for me. A kid who specializes in running away. Who's really good at being the one lost sheep, wandering off the path, picking my own way, my own life, my own truth. God says, I got you, Josh. Entrust them to me too. Which then leads us to the last section of scripture. And the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The whole point of this red letter challenge is we actually believe those words. That we believe that there is power in his name. That by spending time with him, by reflecting and being encouraged and challenged by his words, not Pastor Josh's words, not the latest trends words, not what's hot on social media, but instead on his words, that there is life in that. And that life will mold us and shape us and empower us. That we can experience life and life to the full. And not just me. Not just you. But your spouse. And your kids. And that next door neighbor who's really annoying. And the person driving in front of me when I'm going down the road. And the teachers at Baghdad Elementary School. And our partners in Costa Rica. It, it's all about life and life to the full. And so we want to use this season, and again, we're going to start next week. So we've got two weeks to hand out the books, but next week, next Sunday, will be the first Sunday of the Red Letter Challenge. I know some of you aren't going to be here, so grab a book on your way out. But it's just an opportunity that we as a church can go together to the God of life and life to the full, the God who promises a way, a truth, and a life that transcends even the brokenness of this world.